Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's good to see you. Turn to the person behind you and just scratch the back of their head because you can't see their face, right? All right. All right. All right. <laughs> hey, so there's one thing I know uh, about things like this, all right? When we get away from our normal routine, when we get away from our normal schedules, when we push pause on everyday life, perhaps you took work off to be here today. Perhaps you took off your normal routine of staying up all night and then sleeping in all day. I don't know what your schedule is, but thank, yeah, there's always one. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thank you for being here. And the reality is, is these are the moments where I truly have seen God work in different ways than he ever does in our everyday mundane life. It's not that he's not working, it's just we pay attention a little different. Last night, uh, I told my wife, I'm gonna run to Menards quick, I'll be right back, I gotta go to the carpet cleaner, I'll be right back. Somehow I found myself here at the church and I listened to Brian speak and it was awesome just to hear how um, Brian set up the weekend so well with the idea that the most important relationship that you and I have is our relationship with God. And that's, that's the churchy answer, but the reality is, it's, it's profound. The most important relationship that you and I have is actually with God. Who we are with Jesus is really the most important detail about us. Um, and so I am so excited that we've laid that foundation this morning, we're going to talk about romantic relationships. We're going to go into the topic of dating and sex and marriage and what God's design is for that. Um, this is not your fifth grade human growth and development class, all right? Although I did bring little sticks of deodorant and little trial sizes of toothpaste for everyone. No, I did. All right, all right. Um, I just want to see if they're with me, Sam. I think, I think we're good. I think we're warmed up. So Brian gave me a very generous introduction. It, truthfully, I do love God. I want people to know God and love God. I'm not that interesting of a guy, but I thought I would share a few things about me, okay? First off, I became a Christian when I was 13 years old. I grew up way far outside of the church, so any rough edges you see in me today, you should have seen them 20 years ago. It was gnarly, all right? And so um, I, I, it was through a junior high friend who was annoying about introducing me to Youth group. Hey, Jared, his name was David. Come to youth group with me. I don't even know what youth group is. I said, church. Okay, you lost me, bro. Like, that's not happening. And then one day she walked in, fellas. You know what I'm talking about? When she walked in, nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. When she walks in, I'm like, David, do you know who that girl is? He's like, yeah, it's Brittany. She goes to youth group. I'm like, bro, I'm going to youth group this week. And so, yes, chubby little 13-year-old me is like, she's fine. I'm going to youth group. Zero chance. But... I got to go to youth group, all right? It was awesome. And I got introduced to uh, a dude who wore a band t-shirt, uh, khaki shorts, and flip-flops, and, and a ball cap every single week who tried to look like he was 14, but obviously was 28, and he would tell us about Jesus. I didn't realize, oh, that's a youth pastor. His job is to help us students learn about Jesus. And over the course of a year, I learned more and more about who God was, what the Bible was, how you're supposed to behave in church. I broke a lot of church rules without even knowing there were church rules, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, God called me to himself. Literally a mountaintop experience. It was June 28th, 2000, where I was standing on the side of a mountain at Mount Union, Pennsylvania at Creation Music Festival when I heard God called me to himself, and I gave my life to Christ. It was a real mountaintop experience, pun intended. And ever since that day, I followed Jesus, super faithfully and super unfaithfully. Incredible mountaintop experiences, high, or high, high mountain peaks and low, low valleys. And my job today is to not just entertain you, make you laugh, and keep you awake. 
My job this morning is simply to tell you a little bit things that I've learned along the way. I'm old now. I'm 35. I've been a Christian for a while. Thank you. Uh, okay, listen, I deal with junior hires. I feel old constantly, all right? Um, I've learned a lot the hard way, and I've learned a lot through watching other people make terrible decisions. And my job today as a millennial is not to impute onto you purity culture that I grew up in. The, we're going to have purity pledges, and we're going to make you feel guilty if you've ever had sex, and we're absolutely going to make everyone sign up and say, I promise to never do anything sexual until I'm married. That's not what we're talking about today, okay? Today is simply, I want to talk about what does God talk about? What does God actually show us? What has God designed? So how do we not do our own thing? How do we see what God actually has created and called very good? And we tend to say, no, I'll take the counterfeit. All right, so that's my job today. So that's a little bit about who I am. Oh, I have, I have pictures, though, because they are way cooler than I am. That's my family. Um, that's my wife, Amanda. She said, don't use this photo, but I did anyways, because uh, my daughter now has another tooth. That's from last year. So she now actually has all of her teeth, which is really cute. Um, Harley's the bottom wiener dog. You're like, dude has three wiener dogs? Listen, my wife won the conversation, all right? First <laughs> marriage advice, when your wife says three wiener dogs, you say, yes, dear. Okay, that's what you do, all right? So he's still alive. I can't believe it. He's 11. Um, I I thought he'd be dead by now, just to be honest with you guys, okay? Um, which is why we bought the other two puppies, but now I have three wiener dogs. So Harley, Winifred's to the left, Webster's to the right. Uh, and my wife decided she wanted four shop cats. So we have a petting zoo at our house that uh, Madison's retirement, oh, my daughter's name is Madison. Madison's college fund is what we're charging for entrance fees for the petting zoo at our house, all right? Um, yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Oh, there we are. There we are. I know, I had one chin then, it was amazing. Um, Amanda's been hot her whole life, but it's just, um, it's just, when, oh, she's gone, that's fine. Um, so that was, that was February 26th, uh, 2011. So we're gonna celebrate 12 years next month. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, honestly, real talk, on our 13th wedding anniversary, I'll be the longest married stickter man in my family. Crazy, right? Talk about trajectory change. Stickter men go through women pretty quickly, all right? And so um, I'm the only Christian in my family, um, which makes Thanksgiving really awesome, right? And so um, there's a lot of things about marriage that I've gotten to see um, the hard way, all right? And so I, that's a long, long introduction, but I, hopefully now we're disarmed. We're not nervous about talking about sex and things like that. Um, the reality is, is for us, the pinnacle relationship in our life, the most important relationship in our life is Jesus. The second, if God gives it to us, is our spouse. You see, the reality is, is that we have, as Christ followers, the most intimate relationship we have is actually not a sexual relationship. The most intimate relationship I have is with my creator. Because unlike my wife, he sees and hears the things that I don't do and say. There's a joke around the office about Jared can say whatever he wants to and get away with it. And I just remind people, honestly, you should hear the things I don't say. The filter exists unlike when I was 16. And that's funny, except I know what's, my, what's in my heart. And I know my thoughts. And even the ones I'm not aware of, he sees and hears. The most intimate relationship I have is not sexual. It's with my creator. And the reality is, is the second most intimate relationship I have is with my wife. 
You see, we're going to start with the God because when we talk about who God is, when we talk about what romance is, when we talk about the importance of, of loving someone so intimately, we have to understand who it is that loves us the most intimately. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because why? Say it with me. Because, say it with me, God is love. And you and I think, okay, God's love. So he automatically tolerates and accepts all of our behavior because God's loving, right? Love does not mean he just bends to what you want to keep us happy. God is not one who cuddles us. His love says, because I love you, because I am love, because I define love, I'm actually going to set the parameters of what loving relationships look like. I'm actually going to set the parameter of what loving you means, which means sometimes my love for you means you're going to fall hard. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be let down. You're going to have really funny, you know, breakup stories so that one day you can sing Ariana Grande on a youth stage, right? It's kind of, kind of what happens. Things happen, and God says, because I'm love and because I define love, I'm going to then tell you how it ought to be done. He's the one that invented romance and sex. God is the one, because he's love, he is actually the first one to ever have a sexual thought. Sex was not like Adam and Eve just running, playing track one day. They fall and trip on top of one another. They, oh, this is actually awesome, right? This is God-ordained, God-blessed, intimate relationship. Matthew 19, 4 to 6, Jesus answers, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, who's he talking about? Mankind, Adam, Eve, made them male and female. And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Every time I do a wedding, I read this passage. It's a reminder of what God himself has ordained. Marriage is not an institution only of the state. It wasn't like culturally like, oh, it'd probably be good if there was a commitment. We should probably make this thing called marriage. God has defined manhood. God has defined womanhood. He's created this plan of marriage, and he says it's good. So the reality is for you and I as we're waiting for our spouse, and I want to pause. Everyone say pause. Because here's the reality. Some of us in this room, we may honestly be wrestling with this idea of, am I ever going to get married? Is marriage really for me? What if God doesn't give me the spouse that I'm praying for? What happens if my desires for intimacy with a man or a woman is not God's desire for me? And yeah, you saw cute kids 12 years ago on a photo behind me in the middle of an ice storm because that's what was going on. Who gets married in February in the Midwest? I did, apparently. <laughs> but there was a long time when I was wondering what in the world was going to happen. You see, we were high school sweethearts. We started dating when we were 15 and 16 years old. But we took a fat break in there. A long pause. Because the very things I'm going to talk about this morning, I did not follow. The very things we're going to talk about, God creating healthy boundaries were something that was driving us farther and farther apart as we were craving to be closer and closer together. And what happened is there was a long pause where I was wondering, if she's the best I'll ever get, what am I supposed to do now? And it wasn't until God literally sent me to Chicago, her to St. Paul, different colleges, growing with him 
intimately closer to him that in his goodness, he allowed us to come back together. But there was a period there where I was wondering what happens now. Being married is not the most essential thing for us as people. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't know if marriage is for me, Paul encourages that. If you're saying, I, I don't even know if I'll ever find the one. First off, there's not the one. There's probably lots of people who are compatible for you. It's good. But it's God who will lead you together or God who will bless you and allow you to be single. So I'm pushing that pause button because I want us to know we're going to talk about marriage and dating and sex, but I want to make sure that I'm not saying that's the goal. All right? All right, we're going to unpause. When you and I now are, we're waiting for that day when we have a covenant shared between man, woman, God, others as witnesses, there's the right way to prepare. There's the right way to be ready for that day. There's the right way to protect your future of your family, protect your heart and theirs. That's why God said it should be honored by all. Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Let me ask a question that you can think to yourself. At what point in your life should marriage be honored? By you. Not in theory. At what point in, li- in your life should you be honoring marriage? It might be tempting to say when I get married. I think as people, we look at this amazing gift of marriage, even as children, even as teenagers, as right now as young adults, and we are honoring that, that, that stage of marriage. First off, there's a way of admiring other people's marriage, but in your life, if you know for a fact that you are called to be celibate, and you know for a fact that you are called to be single, then your job is to hold that esteem for others. But if you're here today, and you don't know for a fact that God is maybe going to allow you to be married one day or maybe not. Our job is to honor our own marriages even now. To protect our marriages even now. To protect our spouse's heart and pray for their heart even now. I have a little girl you saw a picture of her. She's eight now. But from the time she was a baby, I, I prayed over for multiple things. We have a crazy story with our daughter. We love her to death. But one of the things I would pray again and again is, God, if you, would, if you would have a husband for her, I pray even now that you would plant the seeds in his heart, that he would come to know you and he would love you more than her. Praying over her that one day, if the Lord allows her to be married, that he will send her a warrior for him who will love him way more than her. We honor marriage by being intentional. We honor our own marriage by being Proactive in our own life. And we're going to get to that in a, here in a few minutes. We wait patiently for God to show us who he has for us. I think as we're talking this morning, and we talk about proactive and being, and being a proactive in our approach, some of us might automatically go to that space where it's like, yeah, but Jared, I've already screwed up. <laughs> that ship has sailed, bro. I get that. And that's where the purity culture millennial would say, you can be a recycled virgin. It'd be great. And that didn't work. 
There's a bunch of millennials who hate church now because of purity culture. So let me pause. Gen Z, let me speak to you for a minute. You're not a second-class citizen because you haven't done your job preparing for your marriage well. There is room for redemption. There is room for repentance. And there is room for life change even now. So even like you've screwed up even recently in this area, there's room for change. God goes into those spaces and he offers the olive branch and not just the olive branch, but a plan of attack of how to stop sinning in this area. God cares about these details. He wants us to be faithful to him. But more, I think more importantly than being perfectly faithful in this, he wants us to be open enough to trust him with our sexuality and with our romance, with your heart. And not just like, I gave my heart to Jesus. I'm talking like your emotional stability, your codependency tendencies, your desire for a person to marry, your sexual cravings, all of those things, God wants us to trust him with that. So we're going to get to the how, but let's first continue on with what exactly is this gift of, of marriage and romance and why has God given it to us? There's a pastor that I think his stuff is good uh, in this area, so I'm just going to kind of teach what I've learned from him, all right? So we're going to learn from one another, and we're going to share uh, some things that uh, have helped uh, me as I formulated this idea of what is marriage and why do we uh, Enjoy marriage, what is sex, why do we enjoy sex, what is love, and why do we enjoy love, all right? So the first thing, it's for pleasure. One of the most obvious things is for pleasure. Love, sex, romance, it's for pleasure. Um, Brian talked last night about the pleasure we have with God. It's a different kind of pleasure, but it's pleasure nonetheless. The reality is, is God has designed love, sex, marriage, dating to be fun, all right? Part of why we do these things is because it's awesome. It's fun. God calls it good. God has designed it. If you think about it, there are components of, uh, of relationship, sex, dating that doesn't make a lot of sense other than God said, hey, kids, I want you to enjoy. See, God has designed this as a thing to be awesome, Sometimes we get legalistic with this and say, well, we have too much fun, and you start to sin. And that's where we say, yes, out of context, we absolutely fall into sin. But when we look at how God has designed love, sex, dating, it is absolutely pleasurable. Psalm 1611 says this, you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is a God of pleasure. Sometimes we think of God as an extension of our earthly fathers. And some of us have a hard time with that. If you're like me, perhaps earthly dads didn't really do their job very well. If you're like me, perhaps there's some baggage when I say the word dad or father. But see, God is not the extension of our earthly dads. God is the perfection of our earthly dads. So some of you guys in this room have an amazing dad at home. First off, hug him. Not all of us have that amazing gift. Second, think about how amazing your heavenly father is then. If, if God, the Father, is the perfection of our earthly dads, imagine how good he is. He himself 
loves pleasure. He gives pleasure in all kinds of ways. Some of us enjoy nature. Some of us enjoy good coffee. Some of us enjoy conversation with others, and we find it to be pleasurable. God takes it a step further when it comes to romance and intimacy, and it's a pleasure that is designed very specifically between one man, one woman for life. And yet in the middle of it, there he is, and he calls it good. God is not down on these things. God is a God who gives pleasure, and he enjoys his people. He wants us to enjoy one another in the context of marriage. Pleasure is a gift from God. Marriage is, number two, it's for new life. There's an obvious component to love, dating, marriage, and sex. In the context of marriage, it's not always God's plan that you have children, all right? My wife and I have a beautiful eight-year-old daughter, and we walked the road of infertility and infertility and infertility, and we were blessed with a little girl who was born from Sarasota, Florida, who we were able to have in our arms from the second day she was born, and we have this incredible daughter who shares no genetics with us because we have this amazing gift of adoption in our life. For us, for whatever reason, God said, hey, Jared, Amanda, I'm bringing two people together, two sinners. I'm going to call it holy. I'm going to do this really weird miracle called marriage, but the womb's going to be closed. Do you trust me? And there are times like, yeah, God, of course. And of course, as you ladies can imagine, when you dream about becoming mom and the birthing process, and that just doesn't happen the pain that goes with that. But the reality is, is God's plan is not always for procreation, but it is part of his plan. What does he say to Adam and Eve? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful uh, is <laughs> have connectedness. Be in relationship. Draw near to me. And then multiply. Just go have sex, fill the earth, have a lot of fun, man. Keep this big garden. You can do it on that rock. You can do it on that rock. You can do it over there, under that tree. Do whatever you want, man. It's good. And Adam's like, high five. And Eve's like, dang it. Okay, here we go. Right? That's just what it is. If you don't read that into the story, you're not reading your Bible. All right? I'm just saying. When he says be fruitful and multiply in a garden, it's like, dudes, I'm just saying. There's nothing saying there wasn't a beach in the garden. I'm just, I'm just I'm, okay, Sam, I'll stop, I'll stop. I just wanted to see Sam. We're good. Is this being filmed? Hi, Pastor Jeff. Hi, Pastor Jeff. All right. Um. That's my job. Thank you. But the reality is, is God gives them the space. It says it's yours, and I give you a command. Take care of the earth that I've given you. Adam, take care of the woman I've given you. Eve, take care of the man I've given you. Go have fun. Stay connected with me. Walk with me and make babies. God's plan is not always for procreation, but it is part of the plan. And for those of us who have been blessed with becoming parents, whether it's biological or adoption or some other form of parenting, right? Surrogate parenting by loving kids that aren't yours, but you, you treat them as if they're yours or whatever it is. We have this amazing gift of developing and pouring into the next generation and raising kids to one day know Jesus. It's a blessing. In the context of marriage, we have this amazing gift of family. And the reality is, is I'm part of a broken home. I've, I pass, I've pastored for 13 years now. I've had a lot of students walk through my office. 
who've come from broken homes. And, and anyone who's been part of a divorced family or a broken home, we understand that there's a pressure and something that we just can't articulate that's put on us when we're between mom and dad. And it's not designed to be that way. But sin has screwed everything up. So now I wear the, the scarlet letter. I, I bear the consequence of my dad's sin. And maybe you do too. But for those of us who are in Christ, there's freedom. There's freedom. But there's also the plan that marriage is a covenant. One man, one woman for life. As long as Amanda has breath in her lungs, and so do I, she is my one. She's it. I won't do to Madison what my dad did to me. And that's God's plan for our marriage. Number three, it's for knowledge. Genesis 4.1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now I love this. The English is Adam knew wife. Man, or Adam knew Eve. Just say what it is. They enjoyed that rock over there, that rock over there, that tree over there. He knew Eve. Anytime in the Old Testament you say they knew one another, that's because they needed to teach it in Sunday school to the kids, all right? They knew one another. But there's something amazing with this knowledge. There's a reason why they say knew one another. There's a knowledge. There's an intimacy. There's a trust that's built. There's a vulnerability that only Amanda and I know about one another. It's beautiful. It's crazy. When there's that knowing component, especially when it comes to sexual relationships within marriage, there's an intimacy. It, there is a gift that's beyond value in that knowing one another. It, it's this, there is so much, there is so much information through this relationship of just knowing one another that you spend your entire life trying to get to know this person. And it's not just physically intimate. There is so much intimacy just driving down the highway in conversation. We're a family that cooks a lot together. We spend too much money on groceries, and I got my wife a really nice knife set for Christmas. I mean, that's how, that's how like, we like to cook together, all right? And she thought that was a good gift, fellas, all right? I'm just saying. Cutlery works in my house. Just cooking together. There's an intimacy that you just can't believe. There's always this phrase that I heard in, in premarital counseling, sex begins in the kitchen. And I was thinking, then we're going to have the biggest island I can afford, and it's going to be awesome. I had no idea what they're saying is, so do the dishes. Clean up after yourself. Because I know my wife enough to know that her top love language, which sucks, by the way, acts of service and quality time. Do you know what I'm terrible at doing? Acts of service and being intentional with my time. Why can't you just like gifts like other women, right? That's what I want to say. Don't say that, fellas. That'll <laughs> get you in trouble, okay? You'll be like, Pastor Jerry, we got to talk. I know I did this too. Come on in. No. But because I know my wife and I understand that her top love languages are me seeing the dirty dishes and then doing the dishes, 
when I come home from the office, I leave the office in the shop and I walk in the door and I'm dad and I'm husband, which is a little easier now because we live outside of town, so I have a longer drive. It's a little easier when I lived really close to the church. It's like I just brought it home and that's not healthy. But all of a sudden I'm realizing there's an intimacy that's being fostered. My wife has deeper conversations with me because she's not sitting there pissed off that I haven't done anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's a deeper level of her showing me her heart when there's been a rough day at work because she's not frustrated with me because I'm not doing my job to love her in the love languages that she's clearly made obvious to me. See, there's an intimacy in knowing. Yes, it's sexual in Genesis 4.1, but it's so beyond sexual. The intimacy of knowing your spouse and understanding your spouse and then loving them in the way that they need to be loved. When you and I pursue this knowledge outside of the context of marriage, there's a word for it. It's called lust. It's called lust. Can I say it, Sam? Am I good? Just to be real for a second? Okay. If you hear this this morning, and maybe you're sitting next to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or perhaps you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you have pursued that knowledge before due time. But the, the, the man or woman you're sitting next to, and you know some of those intimate details that I described that I know about my wife or your husband. You've pursued the right thing at the wrong time. And that's called lust. You don't love the person next to you, you're lusting after them. How quickly we can take this person that God has allowed us to date and to cherish. And turn them into an idol. The minute I wanted Amanda more for my own pleasure than to fulfill her needs as her boyfriend or fiance to help her become more like Jesus without the covenant, it was the moment I turned Amanda into an idol and not my fiance. She is now for my liking and not for God's glory. You know what scripture tells me, Pastor Jared? I'm going to be held accountable for that. Because yes, she's my wife right now. Yes, God in his infinite goodness redeemed that situation. But when I was young and dumb, but we're in love. And although we were virgins going to, uh, into our wedding day, you and I both know, we all know, there are so many layers to lust. And we find ourselves thinking and desiring and imagining and going places we ought not because we can't help ourselves. We are in love. And the problem is, is the minute we do that, we stop cherishing the boyfriend or girlfriend, cherishing the fiance, and we make them into an idol. How much do I not love Amanda in that moment to allow her to become an idol? and not an image bearer. Shame on me. And if that's you today, shame on you. When we bear the name of Christ, it just magnifies the fact that we bear the image of our created God and we are held to a higher standard, which leads us to number four. It's for protection. It's for protection. What's our, what's, what is my marriage also for, what's this love and romance for? It's for protection. 
We have roles and responsibilities to play within our marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5 says this. But because of the temptation of... Uh, well, just a second. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then to come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This verse is all about how sexual intimacy ought to be in a marriage. There's some real truths here. What are we protecting our spouses from? If God gives you a wife or a husband one day, what are we protecting one another from? The number one thing I'm called to do is to love and serve my wife and allow her, help foster a community in my household to, to be the man that's intentionally trying to make her holy and blameless before the Lord. That's what Ephesians 5 tells me. My job is to be the man who doesn't just demand things of her and say, submit, submit, submit. It actually is, she's going to submit to my leadership a lot easier when I am meeting her needs, providing for her, pointing her to Jesus, praying over her, encouraging her, listening instead of fixing, listening instead of fixing. I say it twice because I'm, I'm bad at it still. I have to ask my wife, is this a listening conversation or a fixing conversation? And she gives me the grace and says, I need you to listen. And I'm like, I'm gonna need some, I need like a sparkly water to drink because I don't want to. And then there's a new thing this week. Can I tell you guys about the new thing this week? Okay. I asked for something. I, this is a coined phrase. You can steal it, fellas, okay? When you get married. I need in my household the full, first look grace. You know what that means? When my wife says to do something and the first look I give her is free. You can look stupid for a minute. You can look frustrated for a minute. I'll give you the first look grace. And then I'm going to expect you to go do what I asked you to do. Because sometimes I was like, hey, pick up your stuff. I'm like, and I realize I'm acting like I'm five. Oh, I don't want to. And I'm like, baby, I need first, I need first look grace. So she gave me first look grace like way too many times this week. All right. So, all right. Um, that's just what it is. But what this is talking about is, is protecting one another from temptation. It's amazing. It says, give your wife, give your husband conjugal rights. Don't not have sex. And if you stop having sex, do it for a little bit so you, maybe you can pray. I think, I think Paul's like, oh, you know, just like you want to pray or something. But don't do it too long because Satan's creeping at the corner, man. And you'll have a lack of self-control because we desire sex. We desire intimacy. We desire these things. And when we don't have a proper avenue for these things, we start looking other places. And right now, if you're not married, where do you look for your sexual desires to be met? Where do you look? Because right now, it's like, well, I'm not married. What do I do? Do we trust God enough with our biology and the things he's created us to feel and experience to say, God, I'm going to say no right now because I trust the plan and I trust that one day you will provide all, all that I need in this area. Like the biggest problem we're going to have is we feel a little turned on and can't do anything about it. And in the moment, it's like, dang, that sucks. Do we trust God enough to know that it's not the biggest deal? Do we trust God enough to not have to turn to pornography or turn to something else and say, well, I'll just repent? 
Do we trust God enough in these moments to say, my future spouse is so important to me that I can't bear to look at another example of what she's not gonna be on a screen so that one day I can compare her, the one that God gave me, this beautiful image of all that is good in my life to this fake actress on a screen. Do we trust God enough in those moments? Yes, temptation is real. Yes, God is absolutely saying there's a right and a wrong. But so much of what we deal with is because we don't have self-control. And that's what Paul is saying here. Exercise self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You don't need to be married to have the fruit of the Spirit. When you and I are pursuing Jesus first, our intimate needs are met. Intimacy is not always sexual. When you and I are pursuing Jesus, our intimate needs are met. And the reality is, for those of us who are dating and engaged, all the enemy wants for you, Paul talks about him right here, all the enemy wants for you is for you to have sex before marriage. That's why it's a temptation all the time. And if it's not for you, praise the Lord. But if you're in here in the room, you're like, dang, this is a struggle. Yeah, and guess what happens once you say I do? All the devil wants is you not to have sex because it drives a wedge in your marriage. And you're frustrated because she doesn't do or say what she used to. And you're frustrated because all he wants to do is what he used to. Because right now, the biggest wedge you can allow in your relationship is having sex. And if you're I do, the biggest wedge besides money that you can have allow in, and money and in-laws that you can allow in your marriage, just keeping it real. And I love my in-laws, by the way. Just, that's just generic. Is not having sex. It's crazy. It's such a stupidly simple recipe. It's like, how is this? Because we are stupidly simple people. It's what it is. Number five, we'll go quick on this one because I'm looking at my timer. It's for comfort. I'm not going to say much about this, but I'll say this. When you and I, when God gives us a marriage, we have one person for life to walk through the valleys with. If you're not married, God allows us this beautiful community that is just as good, just as godly, just as intimate. Intimacy is not always sexual, these relationships to walk through valleys with. So those two kids standing there, freezing during an ice storm, didn't realize infertility was part of our story. We didn't know we weren't going to be able to biologically have children. We didn't know that the child that we were going to be blessed with was going to have a lot of layers to her, a lot of complexity. We didn't realize that there was going to be hardship with our extended families just within that first year. We didn't realize what the call of ministry in my life was going to do at times to our marriage. We didn't realize that Amanda was going to spend the first six summers with her youth pastor husband gone seven weeks a summer. We didn't realize that we were going to move to Chicago, move back to the Burbs, move back to home, move to Wisconsin. We didn't know all the details. We didn't know that there was going to be a pregnancy positive and then the next day a pregnancy negative. We didn't know all of that. But God has given us comfort in one another. The very low lows, we have comfort with one another. 
It's amazing what God gives us when we have a spouse. And we don't get that intimacy when we try to make it happen with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. No matter what, we try to foster that intimacy and that knowledge of one another. We try so hard to, to have that thing we desire. And God's like, but I've created it in marriage. And I promise you it's there for you when it's there for you. But if you're here today and you haven't said I do, it's not there for you. You can't have the intimacy and the, and the comfort in marriage that I have with my wife as a dating couple. It's just the reality. Because God has given us that level of comfort within the context of marriage. The last point here before we start doing some practical things here. It's for oneness. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A lot of people will say, well, look, there's the intimacy part. They're sexual. They become one flesh, right? Two become one. Make babies. I don't think that's actually the intimate part. I think they were naked and felt no shame. Was part was the, the sexual intimacy here. I think the oneness is actually God doing this crazy miracle that only he can do. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Let's get together, throw a party. And if Jesus is there, run out of wine. He'll make some more. It'll be banging, right? Be great, all right? Thank you for laughing because wine's okay, all right? Um, has that been said from stage before, Sam? Oh, Sam, I, I'm sorry, buddy. Um, okay. <laughs> if you don't drink, it's okay. I don't mean to offend you. I'm so sorry. Um, dang it. Come back, Jared. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Two sinners become one. God winds himself in the middle of it. He calls it holy. It's weird. You're a sinner, you're a sinner. Come together. I'll wind between the middle. Holy. And what happens is there's a oneness that just doesn't make sense. And there's like practical things, right? Amanda's now, and she went from Amanda Hoffman to Amanda Stichter. She, all of a sudden, we move in together. We have like the, the, the most like terrifying thing. A shared bank account. Fellas, you don't even want to know what TJ Maxx is going to do to your marriage. Just saying. <laughs> if ministry is my mistress, TJ Maxx is her sugar daddy. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Bro, if there's not an amen, you're not married. Just saying. <laughs> I, I'm really glad Amanda's not here this morning. I'd be in so much trouble. No, I actually, I actually passed all this by her. She's good. She's cool. <laughs> DJ, DJ, okay, that was off the cuff. I'm not getting in trouble. I might get in trouble with that one, actually. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna tell her that when I get home. TJ Max, that was good. All right, where am I? <laughs> okay, I don't even know how I got to that part. <laughs> There's a oneness. Same last name, same same housing, same bed, one bank account. That's how we got there. Same family, we share holidays, which can be tough. All of a sudden, this oneness comes, and you start doing life together. And I don't think about the things I used to do and say, well, I can just do them. Yeah, I could still go hang out at you know, that dude's house, and we could play video games till 2 in the morning. Yeah, I could go to Buffalo Wild Wings without telling my wife. Yeah, I could just not show up at home after work and do whatever I want. There's a oneness. I'm not like, hey, I got to call my wife. Hey, I got to talk. Because what happens is you're saying I'm no longer my bachelor self. I'm no longer my bachelorette self. We are absolutely a unit. It's Jared and Amanda versus the world. That's what it is. Right? 
And so all of a sudden this oneness, it, it, we see it's actually that, the same word in Hebrew as when the Shema happens. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, O God, uh, the Lord, is, he is one. This is that same word, this oneness. The oneness is not just the physical part, if at all. The oneness is the miracle that occurs within marriage. And it's this new life that you have together. And the reality is you and I cheapen God's design when we pretend that there's oneness outside of marriage. We just do. You know what the sad part is? And I was guilty of this. I would pray for God to bless my relationship with Amanda. When we behaved and we acted as, as, as though God's law and his plan wasn't actually relevant to our lives. And we asked God to bless something that he inherently does not bless because of his own nature. So if we've fallen down these areas, what, what, what do we need to do? Well, I think about my little girl as she began learning how to walk. If, you've, if you're married, if you've had the pleasure of having children, or maybe you've uh, babysat and kids are learning how to walk, what happens? They stand up, and what do they do? They kind of do their little waddle. Some of us still walk this way. It's okay, especially after the buffet line. It's all right. And then what happens? They fall down. And what do we instinctively say? Uh-oh! Or, or we say something silly, right? And what happens, though? You run over, I, and what would I do? I'd pick her up, and I'd say, all right, kid, let's go. And I'd make her still walk, and she'd fall, and I'd yell, uh-oh! And I'd run over, and then what happens? She, gets, she thinks it's a fun game, so then she just keeps falling and yells, uh-oh, uh-oh. It's like, no, walk! And, uh, but as her dad, I'm picking her up, I'm pushing her, I'm helping her, I'm encouraging her, I'm championing her. I'm even saying, here's a little treat, like she's a puppy, because I don't know, I'm a new dad, right? That's what we do. They don't know. And all of a sudden, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm cheering her on. The minute she takes two steps, it's like, my kid's going to be an Olympic athlete. That's right. Because we're thinking, oh, my word, this is happening. And what's happening is I'm her biggest cheerleader because I'm watching her walk. But she keeps falling down. But she gets up with the help of her dad. If you have fallen in this area, get up with the help of your dad. God the Father is not just a God who's angry at sin and says, oh, you've screwed up, we're done. Yes, sin makes him angry. Yes, he's a righteous judge. Yes, we will be held accountable for our sin. But it's this amazing miracle because he's like, but I'm here and you're my child and I want to lift you up for those of us who are in Christ. We have that relationship where he is going to help us get up and walk. So no matter where you're at this morning with your sexual purity, all that matters is what you're doing right now. Not what you did last night or a week ago, but right now. What are you going to do after this? How are we going to strive to be pure, to run with God, to protect this gift that God has given us right now or maybe will give us in the future? How do we fight for our purity? Once again, I'm a purity culture kid that says, now we're going to do this X, Y, Z, and it's going to be perfect. And we're all like, dude, we went to college. Nothing was perfect. It's not about what to-do list, but let's talk about this quickly. The reality is, is you will right now have no regrets when you look at your spouse, if God gives you one, looking back and say, I fought like hell to get to you. There are times I wanted to give in and I didn't. There are times I literally had to pick up the phone, 
call my accountability partner and say, get over here. I need to get distracted because I'm about to do something stupid. There will never be a time you'll look at your spouse and regret all those things you didn't do. Those stupid rules that you put in your relationship to protect that moment. You'll never regret looking back and saying, that was like the hardest thing that I've ever done. And everything right now in this moment tells me it was entirely worth it. We have to fight for our purity because there's not a single app on your phone that's gonna help you fight for your purity outside of maybe two or three that actually, they get paid to do that. Social media will naturally draw you away. I mean, that's, there's a whole study on that. That's a different time. What your friends snap you will probably naturally draw you away. Commercials will naturally draw you away. Ads naturally draw you away. Sometimes people selling coffee on billboards. We'll use sex to sell you coffee. Great. It naturally draws us away. So we have to fight like hell to protect our purity, to honor our wife or our husband one day to the point of hurting right now because we know that it's worth it one day. We have to call sin, sin. So I'm gonna do the natural junior high pastor thing. I'm gonna name the sins, which is like, that seems weird. We like to justify our sin. It's not that bad. No, let's talk about what it is that we're actually talking about. Fornication, sex outside of marriage. And that means, for, you know, rounding second, rounding third, whatever that is, sexual intimacy outside of marriage. This, we justify all kinds of things. Well, it's not really, but it is. Ah, but it, but it is. Sexual behavior outside of marriage is fornication. God calls it a sin. Adultery. Not just having sex with someone who's not your spouse, but look at a woman lustfully. Look at a man lustfully in your heart. We're guilty of adultery. That's what Jesus tells us. Polygamy. More than one spouse. Rape. Forcing yourself on someone. Putting a young woman in a position where, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, maybe it's not aggressive, but as men, if we are constantly pushing, 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 what do you call that? Especially if we claim the name of Christ, we should never put a young woman in a position to have to choose her purity or making us happy. That's the king's daughter we're dating. Do you ever see a king deal with a man who mistreats his daughter? I don't want to be there for that. Incest, the idea of having relationships with our own family, homosexual behavior. Some of us have inclinations, attraction, desires. Temptation is not sin. Otherwise, Jesus would have sinned in Matthew 4 in the wilderness. When we act on those temptations, we are sinning. Homosexual behavior is a sin. Bestiality, having sex with animals. Prostitution, paying for sex or offering our bodies for payment. Pornea, which covers a wide range of things, including watching, looking, producing, creating, sharing pornography. Pornography is not art in a museum. Pornography is not, you know, this no big deal kind of just happens once in a while. Pornography is intent 
on creating a lustful behavior out of what is inside of us with a reaction from media, pictures, videos. It's designed for us to sin. There's no way around it. It's what it's designed to do. It's created specifically so that someone views it in orgasms. That's what it's designed for. It's not, not a big deal. It's putting images, thoughts, desires in your head. Men, you will compare your wife to the women you have seen. Women, you will compare your husband to the men you have seen. It's just the reality. It's like as dumb as saying, well, I only listen to the, the music. I don't listen to the words. It's not true. <laughs> we can't control what goes in. There's a reason why right now it's the craziest thing. All these things I could just share with young adults that I can't share with junior high kids is awesome. You know what my ads have been for? It's the weirdest thing. I haven't searched for anything. I haven't said anything. I looked it up. Facebook has allowed age, stage of life um, ads. So you know like how you say your phone's listening to you? So if you say cat food 10 times, like cat food ads come up. I kept thinking like, well, why are these ads coming up? And it got me on a bunny trail. They're selling generic Viagra targeted to 30-year-old men. And I'm like, I've never, never once searched for this. This is weird. I've never talked about this. I started Googling. There is such a profit right now for 30-year-old men who cannot have sex because of the amount of pornography they've viewed that they've invested millions of dollars targeting 30-year-old men for Viagra. It's crazy. So your body naturally responds to what your brain has been no big dealing about, and all of a sudden you get to the point of marriage like, I, I've screwed up my body. We don't smoke because we'll get cancer. We don't drink too much because our liver will get all jacked up. But what happens when we view pornography again and again and again since nine years old? Consequences. First Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Run, run. Every sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You ever heard someone say your body is a temple so don't get a tattoo? Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Wrong verse, dude. It's about sex and sexual temptation. Get the tattoos. Okay. Sorry, Sam. Hey, guys, it's been great speaking to you. This is my last time, all right? So. Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When we don't run from temptation, it's telling God, I know the price you bought for me in Jesus just wasn't, wasn't good enough. You didn't pay enough. Your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection wasn't enough. This image, this action, this Friday night fun, it's more important to me than what you've done for me, Jesus. The reality is, is you and I are called to run from sexual morality. So how do you run? First off, I think we need to be honest about our temptations, our struggles, our desires our fears. 
We need to talk to someone we trust. And not just like someone who's going to say, oh, that's okay. But one person who's willing to be the one hand on you, one hand on the Lord through prayer, through encouragement, through understanding, through, through uh, accountability and connecting you together. An older person who's been there before, who can give you some wisdom. Someone who um, has been there and seen it and able to give you a neutral or even better yet, a proactive approach to you thriving in this area. Running away is not putting yourself in positions where you might fall. So if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, like we always sin, it's weird. We put a movie on, we turn the lights off, and somehow we just find ourselves in a position where we're sinning. Yeah, that's probably true. So maybe this time we're going to like turn the lights on and we're not going to lay down. You ever notice how sometimes you sin in the same patterns again and again and again? We change the pattern. Change the pattern, which takes self-control. We don't buy the lie that we're always going to deal with this. But we are always going to deal with this. What I'm saying is we settle when we say, well, this is always going to be a problem. Why start now? Whatever. Sexual purity is always going to be a problem. But when you get married, you have all the sex you want. <laughs> That's back to my other point, remember? We compare people and say, well, this is how it's going to be. Uh, the problem is, is we, that's not true. Pornography problems don't go away when you get married. Sexual purity does not automatically get easier when you get married. What, what's, what's the enemy want you to do before marriage? Have all the sex you can. What's the enemy want you to do after marriage? Have no sex. The temptation comes and comes and comes, and all of a sudden you find yourself thriving certain seasons and striving to reconnect in other seasons. If we're not careful, we turn to the left or the right, and we start looking other places. Who you, be, who you are right now is who you're becoming, the trajectory you're on. So right now, if you are good at getting yourself out of those situations, it's only setting yourself up for success as a married person. If right now you think, when I get married, it'll just be easier, I'll figure it out later, you're not honoring marriage like the Hebrews tells us, and you're not being proactive in the battle. You don't naturally just wake up and say, I'm going to be strong today. It's, Lord, each and every day we're building patterns. The last thing, this is an everyday battle. So what do we do? We resist after we run. You run, and then you resist. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, not on the screen, living and active, sharpening a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How do we resist? With the word. With the word. We know the word. We study the word. We memorize the word. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. How do I fight? With the word. We refocus with praise. You and I come to a point where we understand that our feeling in the moment is not the worst thing, even if it's a battle. And what do we do? We give God glory. We praise our way through temptation. And if we do fall, we repent. We quickly, we, sh we keep short accounts with the Lord. And the last one is we reach out for accountability. If you and I pretend that we're okay, we'll never be okay. We have to be honest. We have to reach out. I like visual, so I'm ending with a quick visual. Sometimes in life, when we talk about this, we feel like we have control. You and I think, well, no, it's not that big of a deal. We think, if we, like a jet fighter plane, 
we just toggle the switch a little bit and one day we're going to be back on track. Well, I'm veering off a little bit. I, I, just have, I have all the control in the world. I can just I can stop looking at porn whenever I want to. Oh, I could start being the man of integrity. And we have this little idea that we have this agility in our spiritual faith that we can be going super fast and also room different corners. So I could play with this temptation, this sin, and no, I'm good to go. And all, we have this idea that we inflate our view of our own self-control to the point of like, well, I have this ability to, at any time, I can just start doing the right things. I can start being the man and woman God's called me to. I can, I can just this little toggle the switch, one little day of reading the scriptures, just a little bit of change, I'll be fine. The problem is it's not how the Bible describes us. You and I don't have the self-control, the agility spiritually of a jet plane. It's actually more like this. It's more like a cruise ship. Because I want to be on a cruise right now because it's cold. <laughs> Anybody ever been on a cruise before? If you haven't, man, you guys are missing out, dudes. We, I like, we splurge. We got an we ocean, we got a, we call it an ocean suite. I'm a big guy. Cruise ships feel small to me, so I got to be able to do this without touching walls, you know? That's what it is. <laughs> Just saying. So we got an ocean suite. Part of that's the balcony. And the balcony was over these things I didn't even know existed. I looked down, and all of a sudden, there's like this giant wave just shooting out sideways. I'm like, something's There's no icebergs in the Bahamas. How did this happen? Titanic has happened. Freaking out. I didn't realize. You know how these things turn? It's not a prop. They're literally shooting like straight out. And so the ship can slowly turn and get around the dock. I thought it was a propeller. They used this like propulsion of these waters and they're shooting like literally 30 feet out. There's so much, so much momentum from this water being pushed out. But what that allows is a lot of momentum. And what it absolutely does not allow is a lot of agility. You see, it takes, it takes a lot of momentum going the opposite direction to change the path of the cruise ship. When you and I say things like, I can do this by myself. I can, I can stop whenever I want to. I can start whenever I want to. We're buying the lie that our spiritual lives are like this jet plane. We're not designed that way. It's not one little flick of the wrist, throttle, and you're done. Or you're going a different direction. It's the cruise ship. It takes time. It takes momentum. It takes something more powerful than the force and the way you're going to change your direction. We know that to be scripture. We know that to be God himself. So when you and I, by the lie, we do not thrive. It's just the reality. So what's all this? All this it's been a long time. Nice long message. Way longer than Sam planned on. But here's the reality. As young adults, you have gone through junior high. You've gone through high school. You've now entered adulthood, and you've realized some of the things you've learned over the last 10 years have not really worked so well in this area. Some of you feel stuck in this area. Some of you feel like you don't really know what the next steps are in this area. And the reality is, is we can't do this alone. We have to look at what marriage and intimacy actually is as God's designed it. And you and I have to be willing to not settle for the counterfeit. When we're stuck in sin, we run, we resist, but we also repent and we reach out. 
We need one another. We're going to have breakouts. We're going to have all kinds of stage of life things. I'll take the, I'll take the engaged in dating couples, and we're going to be able to talk about whatever you want to. Okay? It's going to be awesome. I also know the other sessions are going to be really good too, all right? So let me pray because I've gone, well, Sam, okay, I think I've done two sessions now in one. So this is session two and three. Tonight will be four. And then let me pray. And we will, <laughs> Brian's just laughing because he's like, I knew this was going to happen. All right. Hey, bro. All right, let's pray. Father, there's a lot that your word says about this. Romance, sex, dating, marriage. And the reality is, is I don't know if this topic or this time together was helpful, if it got to the point where it was kind of monotonous or felt like it was droning on, but I do know this is this single-handedly the most counseled topic in my office. I know that we have a generation of young men who are having Viagra pills sold to them because of the damage that's being done with taking sexual behavior outside of your plan, and it's destroyed their lives. I know that the temptations for sexual intimacy outside of marriage have not gotten easier as the years have gone on. So God, I pray that wherever we're at this morning, that you would allow the things that convicted us to become more than just convictions and to become life changes. God, that we would reach out, that we would repent, we would run. God, that we would see what marriage is and isn't, that we would not settle for the counterfeit intimacy that the world offers, that the enemy offers. God, I pray that you would use the rest of this conference to really pour into the, these folks who have invested their weekend here. God, I pray, Lord, if we are in a position where we feel broken about our sin or we just feel like there's no, we have no idea what the next steps are, God, that we would be honest with someone we trust here, that we'd reach out and, and ask for a hand and ask for prayer and ask for direction. God, may we become people who would be known for our love for you above all else and not settle in our walks with you, God. Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.